0: I'm your host, Valerie Borgman, and today we're talking with Donna and her sister, Sharon. They're recalling the signs their dad needed more care when he lived alone, as well as the amazing experience they had with Francis, the owner of the adult family home they moved their dad to. We're talking electric wheelchairs, their dad's dog, Theo, and what it was like for them in the very end.
1: The fire department, bless their heart. Uh, <laughs> occasionally, just drop by just to do a welfare check
0: because he was a frequent <laughs>
1: flyer. <liar.
0: laughs> Hi, and welcome to Desperately Seeking Senior Living, a podcast for sons, daughters, grandkids, and spouses who suddenly find themselves tangled in the search for senior living and care. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe and check out our doable download in today's show notes for a printable summary of the show and a bonus tip from our guest.
1: I guess if we go back five years ago, um, my dad was living, our dad was living in an apartment on his own. His health was declining and we knew it. And we were trying to find him uh, suitable around-the-clock care. We would set up appointments for him to go to uh, see housing for independent living and he would always cancel on them. I didn't, I don't feel good. I don't want to go, you know, always making the excuses.
0: Yeah. We had
1: the VA home care based team assisting with us. Sharon and her son, Joshua, assisting taking care of him and they did. And as time went on, we, you know, noticed more and more that he definitely needed to run the clock. It was stressing Sharon out. It was stressing Joshua out. Of course, with me, 3,000 miles away in Florida, it was totally stressing me.
0: Yeah. Yes. Sharon, what were some of the things that you and Joshua were doing to help your dad? It was time consuming. And
2: then when you would bring him something, he He didn't want that. He wanted something else. And it was the troubles of going back. And then he wouldn't take his medication like he was supposed to. And he always wanted to go on his own. That was his memory, not intact. The paramedics kept saying that you need round-the-clock care. You know, it becomes heartbreaking because then they come after us, you know, for negligent care.
0: A lot of families worry about that. They, they really do. And so how did the paramedics get involved? Where was he calling or were you guys having to call? Um, there were days that I was calling because his glucose level
2: would be out of whack because he wouldn't eat anything. And then when he did, eat, he was eating sugar or junk food and that wasn't, you know, healthy for him. Keeping dad on a strict diet wasn't very easy. Yes
0: especially on his own. (laughs) Yes. Well, also too, we got uh, the VA
1: provided, or supposedly thought that they had provided him with an alert button that they, you know, that he could press if he was in danger. Well, we found out for some reason it was never activated on the VA side. So we actually ended up putting in, uh, getting him an independent one. Of course, he would hit that button for anything and everything. Even if it was for the lunch meat that he was feeding, Theo,
2: it would be for them. Or when you didn't come over, it was like, would you tell my daughter to come over? (laughs) So, you know, 3,000 miles away, we'd get a phone call from Donna to go over and check on Dad. And it's just
1: like... Dad, are you serious? <laughs> you know, this is only set up for emergencies only. Me. And we we actually installed a camera in his apartment. You know, it was more to monitor him and make sure Safety measures. Safety measures and in case he might've fallen because he was getting up and going to the bathroom. And the problem is he would fall between the bathroom and the kitchen and you could see him go in, but then you'd have to wait and wait and wait and wonder if he was coming out. <laughs>
0: So I think that's such a great idea though. So you were helping him as much as you could and then you were getting all these calls from Life Alert but you set up that camera so you were you were able to see is this actually an emergency? <laughs> is this not? Yeah, yes.
1: Yeah, yes. And but of course, you know, we had to
0: respond to each
2: phone call <laughs> that they came to us and it was like, "Yes, okay, thank you." You know, sometimes it would be three phone calls in an hour and it's just Lord have mercy, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> but his dementia slowly progressed in some of it. So he wasn't remembering that. Okay, you just called me five minutes ago, Dad. And then he was calling again and it was, it was, you know, a rough time for him because losing control and then not having very good eyesight, the overpack of his tiny apartment was just her horrendous and oh he-, he couldn't move with it when he fell he knocked everything down because he tended to hoard
1: and you know and and that that makes sense when you age because especially when you have been having things taken away from you when you wish that you had control over it. And that was my problem with our father. Our father was very controlling and he always had to control the situation. Mm. And when he lost that control, it was extremely difficult for him to relinquish that that, control, big time.
0: Yes. And so is that why you think he was hoarding I think
1: so. I think it was to keep his stuff feeling closer. But then, you know, also he wasn't taking feel out enough. So the dog was, you know, had his spots where he was pooping in and urinating, but the apartment smelled like that. He went through one point where he took a pretty good fall and oh, they gosh. took him in and Sharon went in and she just told
0: him, keep them there. Keep Keep them there. And I hauled everything out. Oh, you went to his apartment and hauled everything out.
1: I actually flew out. I helped her. We cleaned up the place, you know,
2: and recycled the cans of food that were in his cupboard. So before we got that place cleaned out, it was just wow.
1: But we got it cleaned up and got his bed maneuvered where he felt he was comfortable with the layout and the home base uh team came in and they were just totally amazed with how clean the apartment was and he felt better and he did a little bit better the fire department bless their heart station 13 right yes <laughs> uh, occasionally just drop by just to do a welfare check you know oh, nice. uh, because they would be in the area and they would just kind of pop in and see how they were how he was doing you know.
2: Because he was a frequent <laughs> <as they> flyer. <were. laughs>
1: He'd overcharge the wheelchair, the electric wheelchair, of course, and then his battery would fail. You know what it's like trying to push 3,500
2: pounds with him in it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he got stuck and they had to call a cab, but, you know, wheels, um, takes the wheelchair, so we had to manly to cut the power off and then push it in. And then, you know, there was times where he wasn't careful with that chair. So when he'd go off the curb, he would flip over in the chair. Oh, no. Yes.
1: Yes. The the VA had given him two chairs. The first chair he actually did really well with because that was early on. And he, you know, he always made sure when he was out in his chair that he had his uh, Safety. safety, safety vest on. He had a flag on the wheelchair so that, you know, tried to make himself visible. To people, you know, oncoming vehicles and stuff like this when he was crossing. And I just think after so many falls with that first wheelchair, they gave him such a high tech <laughs> wheelchair the second time around. It, it just was not a good thing. <laughs> you know, he thought he
2: had everything intact. And it was I had to literally call 911. It was like, look, my father, he's in a wheelchair. He's got the o- And come to find out he had fallen over. Oh, my
0: goodness.
2: He extended the seat all the way up so he could look around to see where he was at. And he ended up falling over. Somebody, some nice, kind person pulled over and stayed with them till... 911 got there and we could get there for him and it was just like oh my gosh yeah yeah
1: because Sharon went with him they got the wheelchair and of course this is like six months he's been without a wheelchair and uh, he just felt so cooped up that he once they got back to the apartment he took off in that wheelchair and it yeah. was not like
2: could do and the only thing we could think of is because we lived right near in Holly. He was going back to the Holly Street house and he got himself lost and turned around and, oh, okay, dad, it's okay. Just stay in this area, please." <laughs> it was, you know, just these were one of the warning signs that, yes, you need <laughs> that chair needs to stay in the park.
0: <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Clear Path Senior Living Solutions. ClearPath helps families find assisted living, memory care, and other resources. Find our contact information in today's show notes.
2: After the third time, you know, of him falling and then between the diabetes and the high blood pressure, they said, No, you got you ladies need to put him in round the clock care. Right that's when we started looking because his falls were
1: you know getting severe by the time I you know narrowed it down with cost versus you know adult family home or, or a uh, whatever. facility a facility I mean I know if we put him in facility care they basically would have took every bit of money that he had coming in I would have nothing left for paying his death policy that we were paying on for five years. They wanted to list a total, all of your income.
0: Yeah. The, the communities that that you were looking at, they're very expensive. Yes,
1: they were. And of course, as he progressed, the cost would go up because it
0: required more care.
1: Yeah.
2: And that's, that was, you know, that was a big thing for us because we're looking at what he had um, coming in financially adult living
1: I highly recommend. As long as you can work with the person that's running the home, you know, they're very flexible.
0: Yes. Yeah. And where he was at, it was a little bit smaller than some of them. And he was the first at at this particular home, which made it even better because Theo got to be there for the beginning.
2: Theo didn't stay the whole time. Theo ended up becoming a handful.
1: The caretaker, um, he actually had a a dog too, and uh, my dad wanted to keep Theo on a leash at all times, and it it just wasn't mentally good for for Theo for Theo either.
0: Where did Theo end up going? He is now he resides with me. Oh, good! So you were able to take him. Yes.
1: So she's a three dog
0: family. <laughs> Do you feel like having Theo there in the beginning helped your dad transition into this new environment?
2: Yes, and I think, uh, well, dad actually formed a quick bond with Francis.
0: And that's the provider. Yes,
2: yes. they go along fairly well. Theo did transition once we got past the argument of the dog and his nuts being chopped, sorry to say that.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, I was going to talk She's about that. you what going to do too. a lot of editing. <laughs> <laughs> But it's so true. When there are pets involved, it's like you don't even realize what that brings up. And I remember your dad was so. I remember you telling me, "Oh my gosh, he's going to be so mad that we have to get Theo fixed."
2: It <laughs> was quite the confrontation, all the way down to nine one
1: one
0: call on that one. Really? Oh my yeah. god! Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We had his uh, breakthroughs where uh, there was a couple of times the police were called. I mean, I I would get calls from the provider, you know, which I expected. And I um, ended up having to call his home care based nurses and say, look, I support the caretaker. You need to give me give backup because, you know, I-
2: his mental state got so frazzled and he got he became so high strung that no matter what kind of medication they were giving him. He was breaking through this medication.
1: <laughs> and, and he was actually becoming violent. violent. That was kind of the scary part.
0: With Theo, that set him off. That was one of those those subjects that really set him off.
2: Yeah. Yeah, That's when we, that was when we knew that um, Theo had to come back. I mean, I remember following the ambulance out that night. And needless to say, they hit the stop sign and pulled over to the corner because he was so... My father was just so erratic, I mean, and upset. They had to restrain him.
0: <laughs> wow. And and his diagnosis, is it Alzheimer's? Was it Alzheimer's at that point? No, no. They never really gave him an official
1: diagnosis of Alzheimer's or dementia. They just kind of... chucked Chock, it
2: up to old age.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I think it was more the hospice care that kind of said that's what they uh, concluded Cl- he was never really diagnosed. It was just part of his diabetes, his yeah. AFIB, yep. and then he had a aortic uh, aneurysm. Wow. Also- they they found some pulmonary nodes in his lungs, but when they found them, they said it looked benign. So we said no, let's not even bother testing. You know, getting in a biopsy because we just didn't want to put him through that process. Yeah.
0: And at this point, how old was your dad?
1: He died uh, at 85. So that I would say that's 83, 82,
0: 83, somewhere in there. So that's a lot, a lot to put him through at that age. Yeah, Yeah,
2: well, he he wasn't the easiest patient. And
1: and he also had uh, issues with sedation. He would fight it. So trying to sedate him to do anything would be totally impossible.
2: It was too much stress all the way around. Dad had at this point, dad had no filter. Jared needed the sedation.
0: <laughs> so at th- this is the point where you're apologizing to everyone. Well, right? yes. So when he moved into Francis's home, did he ever try to, to leave? Yes. Dad would try
2: to go out the door at times because he wanted to go. I had to come over a few times, explain to him, well, you just can't take off, you know. If you go to your appointment or if you go this or one of us takes you, then we can. He would, you know, get flustered and be screaming at us all. And he would get to the point where he got tired and go lay back down. Everything was fine. It was like nothing ever happened. Okay. So he would kind of of wear
0: himself out a little bit. (laughs) He'd
2: take a nice nap and wake up on a different channel. And it was (laughs) like, wow.
0: (laughs) Now, how long was your dad? How long was your dad there?
1: Two years, two
2: years.
0: We feel that um, we got
2: more of our dad in Francis care.
1: Yeah, his last two years of life was probably the best quality of life that financially we could have given him. I mean, I know it was his choice towards the end to kind of stop eating at, you know, within a month or two of his dying. I mean, Francis did everything under everything. His- right. He could to try to encourage him to eat more. Wow! And, you know, he he didn't care whether it was a sugary thing. You know, if you wanted sugar, I'm going to give you sugar. Because yeah. <laughs> at this point, you know, it didn't matter. You yeah. know,
0: do you feel like that was a choice that your dad was making? That he was just ready to go.
1: Yes. 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 I I think so. You know, because it would have been six years after our mother had passed. When we decided to bring when Francis told us it was time to bring in hospice care I you know I said okay and I stressed to Francis um and also to the people in hospice care saying look I wasn't able to be here when my mom um took her last breath I was on an airplane coming from Florida out here when she passed and that had to put a lot of stress on our older sister Connie to handle that. Um so I wanted and I felt guilty, you know, about that. I just didn't want that to happen this time. I told my job, I said, I- I'm going. I went in for a couple of hours that morning, uh, took care of everything. That afternoon, I was on an airplane out here to Seattle and I got in around 10 o'clock Thursday. So we we got to be there for Father's Day with him, even though, you know, he wasn't seen anything but it was just the fact that knowing that he we were there for him and uh, you know a couple of days before uh, because he died June 22nd um yeah and uh I sat with him the day before and he was fine but you could see his breath was rapid um we had the hospice come in and they administered him a little cocktail so that uh would help calm him down and they gave him just very little. We just tried to make sure his lips were moist and got him on oxygen, make it a little easier for breathing, and elevated his bed. The hospice nurse had told Francis that they could administer that. Twice a day. The cocktail twice a day for him to help, and they explained how that, I guess the above your nose into your uh, forehead, you can see the lines. And when patients tend to be in pain, they'll scrunch their face and you can see those lines. And so we got that to make them a little more comfortable. Then, you know, a sister and she brought her son down. And that day, the the day of the 22nd, you know, we were all sitting there in the room talking about this and that, you know, reminiscing about different things. Sharon had been kind of in and out running errands and she came back and says, okay, it's about quarter to two. Let's all uh, head home, give Francis some space. And when she said, everybody, let's go. He left with us. <laughs> yeah. Wow. He was like, okay, you said, let's go. go I'm, I'm going. going, you know, and he left. I mean, one of the other patients did indicate that they saw a dark shadow. And kind of scared her. Oh my god. We believe it was probably his brother Vernon who had passed when he was in his 50s. He he was at a church baseball game and got hit with a baseball in the head and instantly aneurysm. You know, if you had seen what our father looks like now, he he lost some 30 some pounds. Oh my god.
2: He went from like a size 4142 down to a 36. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, even when I got here before Father's Day, and I saw saw him, you know, both Sharon and I were saying, "Dad, if you see the light on the other side, it's okay. okay. It's okay to go." I, I just feel so sorry for those people that couldn't be with their loved ones when they were passing. Yeah, passing. We've got to be able
0: to to
2: be, you know, around him, just you know, processing, knowing that he's leaving, and, and him. Actually, him making the arrangements he did and planning everything out, it I mean, it made life so easy. I mean, the process that we're going through has been a lot easier this time than it was with mom. <laughs> it was, I mean.
1: Well, I, I think also, too, I think people tend to have a different relationship with their mothers than they do with, with their, their fathers. fathers. So things affect people differently. Yeah. Because in, in a sense, mom's was a little more sudden where dad was a progression yeah. of, of time. And we're more mentally prepared. Yeah, you know, as, as much as mentally you can be prepared for anybody passing. I already miss his only ways. <laughs> <laughs> you know, since we've been here, we have to go over to Francis. <laughs> <laughs> and see, I'm, I'm going to have to send him a text there with, it. How are you doing? I miss not talking
2: to you. I <laughs> in <reserving> my room.
0: <laughs> Check out this episode's doable download in show notes for details, including industry terms and definitions we discussed, as well as a bonus tip from our guest. Have questions or your own tips to share? Leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, make it doable.